Well, it is great to have you with us here today. It's great to have you joining us online. We're in the middle of a sermon series, Eight Bad Ideas that good Christians have, that many good Christians have, not all of them. And I was sent this week a comic strip, this right here, uh, that says you know, at the bottom, I swear to tell my own truth. And it's playing upon the language that's sort of evolved recently. It's not really a new idea, but it's sort of a new language the last five or ten years of, of my truth, your truth. My truth is the, the inner authentic me, the, the inner self, my, my real desires, my true nature and my desires. And so my truth is the truest truth about myself. It's the truest truth about me. And the more that I live according to my inner nature and my inner desires, the more I will be free to flourish. Again, it's not a new idea, but it is, that kind of language is something that's becoming more and more the language of, of, of all of us in some sense. Uh, it's been made popular most recently by a book by Glennon Doyle called Untamed. It's a New York Times bestseller. And, and Keith Simon, one of our pastors who preaches here every other week, and Patrick Miller, another pastor, have a, a, a podcast, 10-Minute Bible Talks. And they did one recently on this idea in her book, Untamed, Glennon Doyle's book. Uh, they did it on April 8th. Now, it's you know an hour and 20 minutes, so they're kind of getting away from the 10-minute Bible talk thing. Uh, it's like 10 or 12 times 10 minutes. So it's a bonus, 12 times 12 but uh, it's uh, Why Friends Don't Let Friends Read Glennon Doyle, and that's just sort of a tongue-in-cheek title. It's actually very respectful of her, as they should be, but they do a good job, and they do an honest job of talking about how it is a really bad idea to live by thinking that I must be true to my truth. And one of the things, the, the points they make in that conversation, which, again, I think is fascinating to listen to, I highly recommend you going back and listening to it. Uh, you can listen to it on 1.5 speed, and it won't be an hour and 20 minutes. Uh, that's what I did, maybe 1.7. But it's one of those things where it, they, they pointed out how it's not a new idea, it's just new language. But it goes back to the European Enlightenment, particularly a, a guy from Geneva, part of the French Enlightenment, named Jean-Jacques uh, Jean Rousseau. Try to speak French when you're up here. Uh, and, and this is a senior picture. They aged really fast back then. Uh, no, it's just a picture, a painting of him. Uh, he lived in the middle 1700s. He's one of the, the European Enlightenment uh, pioneers. He's one of the most influential philosophers of the European Enlightenment. And basically his idea was that, that true freedom is when we follow our inner nature, that we come in contact with our inner desires and live out those desires rather than you know, trying to get uh, free from the, the constraining and the, the containing and the corrupting uh, oppressive desires of our society and our cultural standards. The best way to flourish is to be true to yourself. The best way to flourish is to find and follow your inner nature. And, and even though it's an enlightenment kind of thing, it sort of starts in the academy and then goes to the arts and it kind of is among the elite and then it becomes on the popular level. And so even if it's been 250 years, it's taken that long to get on the popular level of Western heritage countries. It's not really so much right now in like a lot of African countries, Asian countries, Latin American countries, but the, those who have inherited the European, French, 
European Enlightenment it is heavy in those countries, and that would include us. And so uh, one of the most noted philosophers of our day, Charles Taylor, uh, he writes about how Jean-Jacques Rousseau is one of these people who has been so influential, and he sums up the basic idea of Rousseau like this in his book. He says, it is the idea that I am free when I decide for myself what concerns me rather than being shaped by external influences. Now stop right there, because most of us would read that sentence and think, okay, tell me when you get to the wrong part. Because we all have been raised in this culture, we all, myself included, kind of think this way. You may have even said words, my truth, and there's in some sense, there's a sense in which there's a legitimate use of it because we're trying to say a truth that I believe, and we're not always saying that my, my truth is the greatest authority. But what is the, because we're all sort of have been raised in thinking this way, it doesn't seem that odd to us. But then Charles Taylor goes on and he says this, Self-determining freedom demands that I break the hold of all such external impositions and decide for myself. Again, the language might seem innocent enough, but it really was a departure from the idea that there's a created order to the world and that we flourish when we discover what that created order and meaning is and conform to it rather than somehow seeing ourselves as the standard of truth and living out our true nature from within. The idea to Rousseau and the European Enlightenment is that we, our, our own conscience, our own heart, our own inner desires, our own inner nature is the best guide for determining what's right and what's wrong. Now, it just so happens that this philosophy came onto the scene and became part of the heyday of the philosophy of Europe at the same time that the slave trade became part of the heyday. It became part of this idea that if I'm free to decide for myself what is right and wrong, well, then I might decide that it's more profitable to be a slave trader, to be a captain of a slave ship, to somehow have slaves to help me be prosperous. I don't think the two are without coincidence, are, are just a coincidence. So it's evolved over the years to be a little bit different than Rousseau. I mean, the same, but a, it's taken on an evolution of its own. And so it's what Tim Keller and others call now the therapeutic self. This idea is that I experience the most healing in my life. I'm my best me when I become my real inner self, when I follow my real nature my real inner desires. And so Tim Keller kind of went on a tweet fest about this last week, and he writes this in one of his tweets. He says, the modern therapeutic self is a recent approach to identity. We are to look within at our desires, especially our sexual ones, and then determine, if you are following Freud, your sexual desires determine, or if you're following Michel Foucault, a French philosopher, create who we are. From those, we create or determine who we are, not allowing anyone else to validate or define us or make us feel guilty. The idea here is that anyone who questions our truth of our self-view is by definition doing us violence, trying to oppress us, 
and, and really denying our very existence. Now, it's interesting because there's some truth in this. This is why it's tricky. And even when you go to the Bible, you go back almost 2,000 years and read the Apostle Paul in a letter he was writing to this ancient church in Corinth. We call it 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. And he's in an argument with them. They're, they're, having, they're criticizing him. And so he kind of gets emotional in his language in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 3. And he says this. He says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. In other words, I don't care what you think about me. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. There's no authority in the human court that can make me think that I must follow them to follow right and wrong. Well, that sounds a little bit like Rousseau. It sounds a little bit like what we're talking about when we talk about my truth is the truest truth about myself. But then he goes on and he says this, Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. See, what Paul's saying there, and I think this is a really good wisdom, and I think it bears out if we just observe life, and that is, it's, it's true that there, it really isn't the best way to, find, to live out our lives and to flourish is not by following what other people say we should do and believe and how we should live. We all instinctively kind of, there's a truth to that. And Paul's saying, I, he agrees. I don't care what you think. I'm not, I don't care if you judge me or tell me what's right and wrong. But then on the other hand, he's saying his own conscience is a terrible guide too. Even if my conscience is clear, it doesn't mean I'm innocent because my conscience is disoriented. Now, you know where I'm going, right? Because we're in church after all. He says, it is the Lord who judges me because my own, my own inner desires, my own inner sense of right and wrong, my own heart, my own, oh, this sense of my own conscience is, is flawed. I can't trust it. It's disoriented. Drivers have been making the news in the last few years when people have been using their smartphones or iPhones or whatever and the navigation software on there, whether it's Google Maps or Apple Maps or whatever, and people over-rely on the little voice telling you where to go. You know, they get somewhere and they're driving and turn left. You know, they're doing all this kind of stuff and the voice is so calm and confident. It's hard not to do what it says. And they end up driving into lakes or onto airport runways. There's a family named the Ogdens, and they bought a house recently, and it wasn't long after they bought the house, and they, it turns out that they didn't get told everything about the house because they discovered that soon after they bought the house, every, they just kept having strangers driving up into their front lawn these disoriented drivers would kind of drive and kind of slow down. Here's a picture right here. They ended up taking pictures of all these cars. They said that they got up to eight people a day would drive into their front lawn and be sort of disoriented and confused and back up and U-turn and run over their sprinklers and all this kind of stuff. And, they just, and they found, one of their neighbors said, yeah, they didn't tell you that that happens. Uh, but they, that, so they contacted Google and found out that Google had a flaw in their GPS programming, when somebody wanted to go to a certain point B from a certain point A, it would route them through their house, <laughs> through their yard. And so you have all these disoriented drivers. And what Paul is saying is that we have this, we have this flawed internal GPS, so to speak, that we call our conscience. And sometimes it's right. I mean, it tells us things very confidently, which way to turn, where to go. 
But and not always, but sometimes it, it, because it's disoriented, it has a flaw in the programming, it ends up taking us to a place that is disoriented in its desires. Even though its confidence is, is something that we would call a clear conscience, it's just a way of rationalizing our own selfishness and our own disoriented desires. And we, and we, we all tend to do it. The idea of following your heart, trust in your heart, follow your heart, be true to yourself, be true to your truth. Uh, phrases like, if you have a peace about it, you be you, are all these ways that we say the same thing, that the best guide, your best GPS on what's right and wrong and how you're going to flourish is that inner self in you. Follow that. But do we have any evidence that that's really something worth following? Or should we question it like the Apostle Paul? It doesn't mean I ever have a clear conscience. That doesn't mean I'm innocent. It doesn't mean anything. Because the reason why the Apostle Paul said that is because he knew of an ancient wisdom found in an Old Testament book called Jeremiah. It was a prophet that wrote about 500 years before the Apostle Paul. And Jeremiah says this in chapter 17, verse 9. Here's what he says. Notice this. He says that the heart is deceitful. That inner voice, that inner self, that inner GPS, your clear conscience is a liar. It's deceitful above all things. In other words, if there's a list of things that are true about your inner nature, your inner desires, your heart, your inner self, if there's a list of things that are true about it, the top thing on that list is that it's lying to you often. Not always, but it's a liar. And it's beyond cure. Who can understand it? I mean, who can really understand it because it's so confident and it's telling us what, what, what we think, what's right and wrong, but it's, it's disoriented. You can't trust it. It's untrustworthy, Paul says. Jeremiah says. It's not a good guide. It's a myth to follow your heart that hasn't really proven itself out if you just look at the reality of this world and the reality of life because we, again, rationalize. We have this ability for our clear conscience to rationalize self-centeredness and be okay about it. There's this British comedy called Mitchell and Webb. I've not seen it. It's on the BBC, but I've seen some YouTubes of some sketches. It's kind of like a Saturday Night Live in Britain. And there was a sketch where these two guys, Mitchell and Webb, we're doing these uh, two Nazi SS soldiers in their uniforms, and they're in the battlefield, and they're kind of looking in binoculars, waiting for the enemy to come. And one of them just starts talking to the other, and he says, Hans, I've been thinking, the insignia on our caps, have you looked at our caps lately? Our, uh, the insignia on our caps is a human skull. Have you noticed that, Hans? There's a human skull on our cap. And Hans is kind of like, what, what, what? What are you talking about? And he goes, Hans, are we the baddies? And it's a skit because he's noticing what probably maybe some of them noticed is that, you know, we think we're the good guys fighting for Mother Germany and the fatherland and all this kind of stuff. But if you notice the badge on our helmets and the badge on our hat, caps is a skull. Maybe we're the bad guys. And I think that there is enough of reality in our own experience where we might could ask something similar. Have you noticed 
we all lie and cheat and break promises and betray people that we've committed to and lie about people and lie to people and we, we have this strife in our relationships and we're filled with resentment sometimes and anger and bitterness and hatred and we have this strife in our relationships because of envy and jealousy and arrogance. Have, have you noticed the skull on our hats? And we could ask ourselves the question because see, when I look in my own rear view mirror of life, look in your just your own life's rearview mirror. I look at my rearview mirror of my life and I see a wake of people that I've used and abused and harmed and treated cruelly and lied to and lied about and, and, and just did incredibly selfish things because you know what I was doing? I was following my heart. I was following my inner desires and I bet if you look in your rearview mirror of your life, you're going to see a lot of the same wake, a lot of the same people. Not everybody. Not every, there's good, but there's some people in that wake that might make you ask the question, you know, we think we're the good guys in the story. We all kind of think we're the good guys. But if we looked at the insignia on our hats, if we look at the wake of people in our life story, we might, are we really? Or if we're honest, are we the baddies? Are we the bad guys in this story and we think we're the good guys? Is our heart lying to us? Is our heart deceiving us? Do we have a clear conscience? Well, that, as Paul says, doesn't make us innocent. Rebecca McLaughlin in her book, Counterfeit Christianity, she writes it this way. She says, it has been said that no friendship, listen to this, no friendship in the world would last a day if we could see each other's thoughts. Stop right there. No friendship in the world would last a day if we could see each other's thoughts. She goes on and she says this, run that test on yourself between now and tomorrow. Think of everyone you spend time with and ask, would I let them see a transcript of my thoughts. My marriage, she's just being honest, looking in her life, my marriage would die, my children would be crushed, my friends would leave. My thoughts are not all bad. Many are good and kind and true. But like a bag of flour infested by maggots, no part of me is pure. When you go deep within to our nature and our desires, it's a, there's good in there. I mean, we really do want good. We really do want to be kind. We really do want to have relationships that help other people flourish. But it's like a bag of flour full of, full of maggots. And enter into this reality, the whole Bible's big story. That, that God wants to reboot our software, our, 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 our programming that has a virus in it, that's making us have this confident self-conscience, self-confidence in our conscience that has a, a clear conscience that's actually leading us to rationalize our own self-centeredness and the wake of destruction behind us. He wants to reboot it by becoming human in the person of Jesus and dying on the cross so that we could have this second chance of breaking through the other side of death and rising from the dead because he's going to reboot all of creation. And his resurrection has already begun the reboot. 
of a new creation. And he's going to reboot us by giving us this death and resurrection ourselves when he returns and brings the kingdom of God. God is changing the story, and that's what the whole Bible's about. This is the whole point of Jesus. And so Rousseau believed that that true freedom is in following our own inner desires, our own nature nature within. And Jesus said that's the surest way for self-destruction, that true freedom only comes by following him. Because he saw himself as the truth. In fact, he says it in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When he stood before Pilate, he said, it's for this reason that I was born, for this reason I came into the world, to bear witness to the truth. He said to those who didn't believe him, the reason why you don't believe me is because I tell you the truth. Jesus said 25 times in the Gospel of John alone, truly, truly, I say to you. In fact, Jesus says this in John chapter 8, Verse 31, he says, if you hold to my teaching. Now, this is not making up a Jesus in your mind and calling it Jesus and following your own conscience. This is following literally the teachings of Jesus that we find in the Bible. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. You're really my followers. You're following me. He says, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's knowing the truth. It's not this inner side in us, this my truth that we follow. It's the truth that's in Jesus, that's his teachings, that as we know them, that's when we experience real freedom. But here's what I love about that verse. It's the word will, future. And in fact, if you look at the Greek language, it really is future. He's talking here about a reality that begins now, but is fully realized in the reboot the resurrection, the restoration. Jesus says he's the truth, and the only way to experience freedom is by following him. There's a reason why one of Jesus' favorite metaphors for describing human beings are sheep. You ever notice that when you read? He's always talking about sheep. He's the good shepherd, and he's always talking about his followers being sheep. Now, I've got some friends that are sheep farmers, and one of the things they all tell me, and I'm not, I don't know, I'm not a farmer, I'm not a sheep farmer for sure, but one of the things they tell me is that there's something about sheep, the reason why Jesus called us sheep, and he says, you know, he saw people like sheep without a shepherd, is, is because sheep are not known for being, having smart self-care, is maybe a way we might say it. Uh, there's a video that was viral on the internet this week, maybe you've seen it, of this shepherd here pulling a sheep out of the, this stuck in this crevice. I mean, look how in the world it got stuck in a crevice. He's pulling this sheep out, this lamb out by its leg, and then it's free, it's running, it's free to be himself, and now finally he's himself. <laughs> There's a reason why Jesus calls us sheep. When we follow our own inner nature as our GPS, (laughs) it's a downward spiral. That's when we get trapped in our disoriented desires. And Jesus says the only way to be free from that self-destructive self is not to follow yourself more, but to follow him. 
and, and to follow God's word. His, Jesus taught that the entire Bible was God's word, and this God's word that, that makes us this, this person that's restored, even now to some degree. And so the last day before Jesus was crucified, he was praying to the Father, and he says this in John 17, 17, when he's praying for his disciples. He says, sanctify them, his disciples. Now that word sanctify, you've already tuned me out, because it's a very religious word. We're not really sure what it means. Here's what it means. He goes, make holy. Now, we, again, holy, you've already tuned me out because when we think of holy, we think of somebody that's boring, saying boring things with their arm folded. But that's not holy in the Bible. Holy in the Bible is get on your knees because you're so overwhelmed by the brightness and the beauty and the splendor and the majesty and the, and the glory of God without corruption, without disorder, without disorientation. We're going to be restored and rebooted by the truth. And then Jesus says, it's God's word that's truth. That's why Trillia Newbell, who's spoken here before a couple times, and she wrote this in a tweet this week. I like that she says this. Because a thought for Christians. If the loudest voice in our heads is our own, it will do us well to pause before speaking. And I would even say pause before listening. She says that for a reason. She's learned it from experience. She's probably giving advice for social media, by the way. Hint, hint. And then she goes on to say this. It's also one of a thousand reasons to meditate on the scriptures. She's just saying what Jesus said. That if we hold to his teaching, that's when we really will know the truth. And it's knowing the truth that's found in the teachings of God's word that brings freedom. It begins now, and it will be a full reboot in the resurrection. When the Apostle Paul is trying to sum up the entire gospel message, he does so in the book of Romans in the New Testament. And the very first chapter, he's explaining what went wrong. Why are we in this dysfunction why are we in this disorder and disorientation, even within ourselves and within our society? And he says it happened because we suppressed the truth that God put inside of us. And we exchanged the truth. He says in verses 18 through 32, chapter 1, Romans 1, we exchanged that truth for a lie. And we exchanged the glory of God to worship created things. And so that it says that God, because he doesn't coerce worship and he doesn't coerce us to follow the truth, he gives us a free will. God just let us do it. He gave us over to it. And then when, when that happened, our minds began to think dis, uh, disoriented and our hearts became disoriented. And so all these dysfunctions began to happen in our own lives, in our own hearts, our own minds, and our own relationships and in our world. And he's talked about greed. And he talks about hatred. And he talks about strife. And he talks about envy and jealousy and arrogance and pride and all these things that destroy community and make us trapped in these crevices rather than truly flourishing like we think. And he says in the middle of all this, in chapter 1, verse 20, he says about God, he says, for God's invisible attributes namely his eternal power and his divine nature. His power, the God that created this universe, and his nature as being a moral God, because we, we know instinctively that he is, that because of creation, they've been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Now, here we are in church. I realize this is a big audience. Not everybody here believes in God, and I'm glad you're here 
I'm glad I'm, hopefully you have some things to think about today. But my guess is most of you believe in God, and I think most of you would call yourselves Christians. So let me just ask you a question. You believe God created this universe. You believe that the fabric of this universe, as that verse says, is the very fabric of who God is. Now, do you think the truth that's going to bring you flourishing is your truth inside of your own desires that are disoriented, that hasn't been a good wake behind you, and it hasn't borne good fruit in your life when you have? You've rationalized with a clear conscience just using people and being selfish and broken relationships. Not every way. There are kind things, but there are maggots in the flower. Or do you think the God that created this universe, who's offering a reboot and offering you now a way out of the crevice to follow him as the good shepherd and listen to his truth and follow that as your truth, do you think that is the real way to bring flourishing in your life? Do you really want to be true to your truth? Or do you want to be true to the truth? One of the ways that Jesus has us pray something that challenges this narrative is the Lord's Prayer. And I thought maybe as we leave today, we could stand like we've been doing and say the Lord's Prayer. If you pray and want to pray, would you stand and pray the Lord's Prayer? Let's do that together. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Have a great week.